Father, thank you for that love. Thank you for the privilege and opportunity we have to celebrate you and celebrate one another. Celebrate the gift of your son, Jesus. Celebrate life. And Lord, we, um, we just thank you for, as we, we close out this year, 2020, and we look forward with great expectation, great hope, great enthusiasm to what you will bring and do in these next days, weeks, months, this year, 2021. And we just uh, want to worship you in spirit and in truth. want to thank you for your goodness and your love. Thank you that you've made yourself available through your son. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. You can have a seat. So good morning. One of my uh, favorite times of the year, not because necessarily of Christmas, but I love to recalibrate and, uh, and I'm learning that just to take a, take a examination of my life in the sense of comparing it to what I'm learning in scripture and where I'm headed. So we finished first Peter. And we have the privilege that in, this, in the beginning part of this next coming year, we're going to go into Second Peter. And so that's where we'll be heading. And then after that we're, is left to be determined. But just so that you know that, it takes eight minutes, eight seconds, eight minutes, 8.9 seconds to read through Second Peter. It's, it's radically different from First Peter. And it's, it's, I'll let you have your own impression, but we're going to take the, the privilege and opportunity because it's only eight minutes. I'm going to read it to you. And uh, because it's good to hear scripture read and then you can ponder. And then I want to invite you just like I did with, as we went through first Peter five chapters, second Peter, three chapters, that at least once a week, you would take some time on your own to read through the sweep of the letter, eight minutes, and just spend some time pondering the big picture of the message. And what is, uh, what is God trying to tell us here? Uh, what am I supposed to know? What am I supposed to do? What should I do in light of what I'm reading? And... I love how he closes the letter when he says, in light of these things, how ought we to live? And in Second Peter. So if you want to turn in your Bibles, we are going to take a look at Second Peter here. It's probably uh, one of the it might be one of the least read books in the New Testament because after you get past chapter 1, it's heavy sledding. 
It's not a simple, and I'm not talking about intellectually understanding. I'm talking about the, the, uh, the nature of the subject to go after false prophets and false teachers, and the, uh, it's heavy. So before we read that, let, let me just pray with us. Father, we just thank you for the privilege to open your word, the responsibility we have and the opportunity to read, to practice, to learn about you and what you've done and who you are, and that we have leadership in our life because of you, that you're not... an impersonal force, but a personal God, a living God with purpose and intention and a mission. And you've included us in that mission and you've invited us to trust you with our lives and to learn what that looks like as we practice that each day. And we thank you for Peter's writings. We thank you for our journey through his first letter. Pray that you continue to open our eyes and our understanding to how we can practice applying that word to our lives and our relationships. And as we look into his second letter here, God, that you would open our our hearts and our minds, teach us, cause us to hunger and thirst after you, to want to draw closer to you. We thank you in Jesus' name, amen. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who, through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to your faith. Add to your faith goodness, and to goodness knowledge, and to knowledge self-control, Self-control, perseverance, perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being unproductive and ineffective in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more eager to make your calling and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never fall. 
And if you will, and you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in the tent of this body, because I know that I will soon put it aside as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort to see that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. We did not follow cleverly invented stories when we told you about the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty, for he received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven. We were with him on the sacred mountain. And we have the word of the prophets made more certain, and you do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture came about by the prophet's own interpretation. For prophecy never had its origin in the will of man. But men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. But there were also false prophets among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you. They will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the sovereign Lord who bought them, bringing swift destruction on themselves. Many will follow their shameful ways and will bring the way of truth into disrepute. In their greed, these teachers will exploit you with stories they have made up. Their condemnation has long been hanging over them, and their destruction has not been sleeping. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them into gloomy dungeons to be held for judgment, if he did not spare the ancient world when he brought a flood on its ungodly people, but protected Noah, a preacher of righteousness, and seven others, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man who was distressed by the filthy lives of lawless men, for that righteous man living among them day after day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. If this is so, then the Lord knows how to rescue godly men from trials and to hold the unrighteous for the day of judgment while continuing their punishment. This is especially true of those who follow the corrupt desires of the sinful nature and despise authority. Bold and arrogant, these men are not afraid to slander celestial beings. Yet even angels, although they are stronger and more powerful, do not bring slanderous accusations against such beings in the presence of the Lord. But these men blaspheme in matters they do not understand. They are like brute beasts, creatures of instinct, born only to be caught and destroyed. And like beasts, they too will perish. They will be paid back with harm for the harm they have done. Their idea of pleasure is to crowds in broad daylight. They are blots and blemishes reveling in their pleasures while they feast with you. With eyes full of adultery, they never stop sinning. They seduce the unstable. 
They are experts in greed and a cursed brood. They have left the straight way and wandered off to follow the way of Balaam, son of Beor, who loved the wages of wickedness. But he was rebuked for his wrongdoing by a donkey, a beast without speech, who spoke with a man's voice and restrained the prophet's madness. These men are springs without water, mists driven by a storm. Blackest darkness is reserved for them, for they mouth empty, boastful words. And by appealing to their lustful desires of sinful human nature, they entice people who are just escaping from those who live in air. They promise freedom while they themselves are slaves of depravity. For a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and to turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to wallowing in the mud. Dear friends, this is now my second letter to you. I've written both of them as reminders to stimulate you to wholesome thinking. I want you to recall the words spoken in the past by the holy prophets and and the command given by our Lord and Savior through your apostles. First of all, you must understand, in the last days, scoffers will come, scoffing and following their own evil desires. They will say, where is the coming he promised? Ever since our fathers died, everything goes on as it has since the beginning of creation. But they deliberately forget that long ago, by God's word, the heavens existed and the earth was formed out of water and by water. By these waters also the world of that time was deluged and destroyed. By the same word, the present heavens and earth are reserved for fire, being kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. But do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief. The heavens will disappear with a roar. The elements will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? You ought to live holy and godly lives. And as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming, that day will bring about the destruction of the heavens by fire and the elements will melt in the heat. But in keeping with his promise, we are looking forward to a new heaven and new earth, the home of righteousness. So then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with him. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our brother Paul also wrote with you the wisdom that God gave him. He writes the same way in all his letters, speaking in them of these matters. His letters contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort as they do the other scriptures to their own destruction. 
Therefore, dear friends, since you already know this, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the air of lawless men and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be glory now and forevermore. Amen. So over the next couple, however long it takes, uh, weeks or months, I'm not positive, we'll spend some time unpacking that. And I would just encourage you to stay in tune, reading and thinking, asking questions of Scripture, asking questions of yourself as you read through there. And um, we will enjoy that journey. So I want to share just a couple things as we come to the end of 2020. And it's, I, I looked in my journal from last year and the year before that and the year before that. And I have taken the time in my own personal life and I kind of been sharing it with the church family that um, growing more... Um, not just the idea of a New Year's resolution. I'm not, I'm not talking so much about that, but I'm talking about the opportunity of uh, just looking at your life, where you're at today, and doing just a, a, a thorough examination and looking forward to this next year and thinking, okay, there might be some things that I would like to leave behind in 2020. It may be attitude. It may be unforgiveness. It may be a habit. It may be something that you've been trying to deal with and you know it's something that you is part of your life and you've been saying, you know what, I need to bury this. And so I go through that in my own life with the help of other people. I have people in my life, they speak to me, they challenge me, they, they challenge my thinking, they challenge my speaking, they challenge my behavior. And I'm so thankful and I'm becoming more and more thankful for that opportunity. And so I've, um, I have the privilege to teach a class right now um, at the FHL on worldviews. And so I'm sure that I have much more to learn than the students do. And it's, uh, it's been a, a stretch for me. But one of the outlines I made is, uh, has been helpful, and I want to hand it out. And again, the big picture is that I think about uh, 2021, and I've been trying to come up with these little catchy phrases for my own life, right? And so my phrase for 2021 is pursuing the sun in 2021. And... The idea that that I want that to be the focus of my life, pursuing the Son, pursuing the Lord Jesus Christ. And in Second Peter, when he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance, grace and peace be yours in abundance. I remember the exact spot I was on the road between my house in Akeley and the end of the road where I walked every single morning. I took this couple mile hike and I remember exactly where I was where I was pondering this particular verse. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through your knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. 
because I knew I didn't have much abundance in my life. I didn't have much abundance of peace. I didn't have much abundance of grace. And so in a sense, I had nothing to offer those who were in need. But the abundance is so that there's overflow out of our obedience and our practice of life. So that when you come in contact with other people, if you're a person of abundance because you've been pursuing Christ, because you've been growing in your knowledge of him, and knowledge comes through applying what you're learning, not just having some knowledge in your head, but then applying it to what you're learning. I thought, this is something I want to pursue. How do I pursue this? So I asked questions. Say, well, Chris, a man ought to examine his life. The unexamined life is not worth living. Where are you picking up and taking responsibility? So what I have here is I have just a simple outline that I use from time to time to just, uh, thank you. So what it is, it's a format. It's a tool. Uh, I was listening to a friend the other day talking about tools and tools can be used to, for all kinds of purposes, but all tools are not equal. Okay. So this is a tool. And like I said on the top, it's, I'll wait till you guys get it. Um, but it's a simple tool to, to, to ask ourselves some important questions. It's a break from the normal. I mean, you're going to come on Sunday morning next week, and we're going to open up to Second Peter, and we're going to go through it. But this is going to be in the background, where you're going to be thinking about this next year and taking an examination and an evaluation. So, because we have to have our worldview challenged, okay? Let me give you kind of a definition, and you can write notes on the back of this because it's a blank sheet of paper, but... Here's the definition of world, a working worldview, okay? A worldview is a set of presuppositions. And presuppositions are ideas, they're theories, they're thoughts. But a presupposition is something that needs to be tested. So a worldview is made up of presuppositions. Presuppositions are th simply thoughts and ideas, philosophies, theories, Presuppositions which are true, partially true, or false. Okay? So a worldview is made up of presuppositions that are true, partially true, or false, which we hold consciously or unconsciously. That means sometimes we're aware of it, sometimes we're not aware of it. But your worldview deeply and radically affects your life every moment of every day. Every person that's doing any type of action, that action is because of their worldview. The person who's somewhere abusing somebody at this moment, they're doing that because of their worldview. And so I'm finishing the definition. So it's either held consciously or unconsciously, consistently or un inconsistently. And so sometimes we have a worldview and we're very inconsistent in our practice of those worldviews. So we might say when we're around people that would expect us to say something like, well, I love Jesus. Uh, I believe in Jesus and I obey Jesus. But when I'm off in another situation, I don't consistently practice that worldview. So that's what that means. And then the last phrase says, 
consistently or inconsistently about the world around us, ourselves, and others, from which comes our attitudes and our actions. So it's a big definition of worldviews, but the idea is that their thoughts and ideas we have about life, about the world around us, we, we hold them consciously and unconsciously. We practice them consistently and inconsistently. And they're about the world, they're about others, and they're about ourselves. And they need to be continuously challenged. Continuously um, and challenged by practice. If you have a worldview and it's not working for you, you have to ask yourself, what's wrong? Is it my practice or is it my ideas about the practice? So each one of these areas, I wrote on your paper, some components of being a human being. Okay, that means there's others that aren't on this list. This is like a general tool. And what I tend to do is just look at some of the components of being a human being. And I ask myself, what's my worldview about the physical body? And do I have a biblical worldview about my physical body? And then just in this next year, in this next year, 2021, how will I use my physical body? And then I ask questions like this about every area of my life. What is my duty? What is my obligation? What is my responsibility? Now, this is things that are new to me. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to say this five, ten years ago. I didn't know duty was connected to privilege and responsibility as intimately as it is. And I didn't know it was my individual responsibility how I handled my body, how I took care of my body, how I prepared my body. So part of my worldview, part of my philosophy about my physical body is that I prepare my body so that, I mean, Paul talks about this too. I beat my body and make it my slave. And so that when I get to where I'm going, wherever that might be in that particular week or that particular day, my body can be there as a support. And so exercise, eating, and sleep. Those are basically the three, when we're talking about, you know, and you could add hygiene in there too. My wife has taught me I should shower at least once a month. No, but you get the picture. You know, we should be taking care of our physical body and asking ourselves, what, what's the duty, what's the privilege, and what's the responsibility that even as we age and as we grow up? So those are some things that I think about in, that, in the, the physical body. And maybe this next year you're saying, you know what? I need to take some more responsibility over my physical body because my physical appetites are controlling me and I'm not directing them. And so you ask yourself some questions in that area. What do you want to do? How's that working for you? And then I'm going to quickly go over these kind of as an overview. And then you, I have the emotional. I didn't necessarily put these in any kind of category of hierarchy, but emotional. And I'll explain that a little bit. Feelings. Feelings should not drive decisions. And you, you need to think deeply about that to recognize in your life where feelings are driving decisions 
rather than um, thoughtfulness. So you, you move toward becoming more contemplative and thoughtful in your feelings rather than impulsive and being driven by your feelings and controlled by your feelings. Feelings and emotions are great. They're given by God, but they're not to be driving the car. Okay? They're not to be in control of the driver's seat of your life. You put feelings in their proper place and they, they enhance your life. You put them in the wrong place they bring lots of anxiety, lots of difficulty. So you just need to ask a couple things. And I mean, for me, it becomes really simple, and I try to learn. I was playing a card game the other day with my grandkids. Okay, um, Harper's five, Hudson's four. Okay, so we're playing a card game, go to the dump, and... Just by the facts, of the way the cards were, I started to win like three hands in a row. And to them, the earth was falling apart, right? So I stopped and I said, listen, because they wanted to change the rules. And I said, no, your feelings don't affect the rules. The rules affect your feelings. The rules have to be in place in order for us to play the game. And facts don't care about your feelings, and so I'm, I'm really learn, trying to learn that. So when we get out later to the fireplace that we're having a campfire, I said to my little granddaughter, I said, listen, facts don't care about your feelings. The fire doesn't know the difference between your finger and the stick. Okay, so that's the facts. You may feel like you want to play in the fire and be real close to it, but you got to remember you can do that as long as you're being aware of the facts. That fire doesn't care that you're pretty. That fire doesn't care that you're a nice little girl. The fire doesn't care that you want to play. The fire doesn't care about your feelings at all. And so in your life and in my life, we have to constantly say, where are my emotions at this time? Who's in the driver's seat? What's my responsibility? What's my obligation with my emotions, these things that are given to me as a gift from God. And you look at the extreme. You have pain on one end. You have pleasure on the other. And all the emotions in between. You and I have an opportunity to have a brain that has reason. And we can begin to manage these things if we recognize that we have responsibility there. The next one, the social. And that's just basically your relationships. And in that area, you just ask yourself questions, okay? Family, friends, and foes. Your family, you're loving on them, right? Your friends, you're loving on them. And your foes, you're praying for them. And they shouldn't remain your foes if you're praying for them. I mean, Jesus said, pray for your enemies. Love those who persecute you. If you're praying for somebody and you're loving on them, it's up to them whether they stay your enemy or not, but you're certainly not going to stay their enemy as you continue to pray for them. And so the relationships, um, who are you mentoring right now in your life? And that would be intentional activity where you're pursuing a person to, to um, help them grow. 
And then who are you being mentored by? Where you're intentionally seeking out somebody who you respect their life, you see, you see the values and the principles and the godliness of their life, and you pursue them, say, can you help me grow? So you could be a mentor and you could be a mentee. And the other relationship is that who are you on mission with? In a sense that you're locked arms with people who are like-minded and you are pursuing some very similar goals. And those goals would be as much as you can to enhance other people's lives. And you might do that together with them. So that's who, who are you on mission with? And when, so in relationships, maybe there's a relationship you're in right now that that's bringing you harm and not health. Maybe you need to do some reassessment there of that relationship. Maybe there's a relationship you should be in that you're not in because you know it would challenge you and bring you health and you're not ready for that. And you need to evaluate that. And in relationships, you need to be constantly asking yourself, what's my duty here? What's my obligation? What's my privilege? Because if you're thinking like I had thought most of my life, I'm in a relationship for how it benefits me, that's a really immature perspective. And it's going to lead to serious problems. You're in relationships because God gifted you as his image bearer to do the best you can to come alongside another image bearer and help them know God's love and help them recognize as best they can to take responsibility for God's image in them and to not allow that image to be marred, but to enhance it. So those relationships, again, you ask yourself question, what's my duty? What's my obligation? What's my responsibility? And duty Obligation, responsibility equals opportunity. If, if duty and obligation is too heavy, like say, what's my opportunity here? And when we're talking about opportunity, we're not talking about an opportunity to rip someone off or to take from them, but to enhance their life. So intellectually, again, um, Learning to think and speak clearly. That's your duty. That's your obligation. That's your privilege. That's your opportunity to continue to learn um, so that you can speak clearly and compellingly. It has to do with studying. It has to do with reading. Know what you believe and why you believe it. Look at your worldview. Does this worldview... Does this worldview correlate with reality? So spiritual, your spiritual life. And this is your personal intimacy with God. And as you move toward maturity and away from immaturity, your relationship with God, you recognize more and more and more. It's your responsibility. Babies are fed by someone else, usually their parents, right? The more we move away from chaos and toward order, the more we move away from immaturity and toward maturity, we feed ourselves. You and I have a responsibility. God's word, 
to, to understand what it's saying in the sense of so that we can practice it, hear what it's saying, and then go practice it. Uh, worship. And by worship, I'm not talking about Sunday morning singing a couple songs. I'm talking about 24-7. When you wake up in the middle of the night, when you're concerned with something, worship is breathing. Worship is giving God his due in your everyday life, recognizing every day there's opportunities to trust him. You're not God, he is. That you worship him and you acknowledge his sovereignty, his rule, his goodness, his love, his righteousness, his authority to own you. So that's worship. And then, you know, prayer. How's your prayer life? What's your responsibility? What's your duty? What's your obligation? What's your privilege? Are you, can you develop your prayer life in this next year? And then fellowship means time with other Christians. And um, if you need time with other Christians in this particular day and age, maybe it's been a little more difficult. But there's people who are like you, who are lonely. There's people who are like you who want to grow. There's people who are like you who want to do, uh, serve people. So find fellowship, and it's your responsibility. Take responsibility and find people and encourage them. Take responsibility and find somebody who's alone right now, who's a shut-in, who needs encouragement. That's part of your spiritual life, fellowship. And then just Take an opportunity to let your light shine, however that looks in your situation. Whether you're going to have somebody over for lunch, whether you're going to go over to somebody else's house for lunch, letting your light shine, your life, your walk with God, letting that shine by being with people intentionally and purposefully to, to just point in the multiple ways there are to point that you're a servant of the high king. And that, that should be a display in your life. So your spiritual life, your vocational life, whatever you do, work at it with all your heart unto the Lord. I love to be reminded. And I need to be reminded often because I am so prone to being lazy. I'm so prone to taking um, it, taking my life, taking my job, taking my, my, my opportunity to love people for granted, taking the relationships I have for granted. So I love to be reminded, whatever you do, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your heart as unto the Lord, not unto men. What kind of employee am I? What kind of employer am I? How am I handling? You know, when I think about vocation, it also has to do with the, the, the earnings, whether that be uh, money or gifts. But how am I handling my giving in, in a sense of what I have to offer? Is a generous, am I a generous person? My giving, my saving, my spending. What's my responsibility? What's my duty? What's my opportunity? What's my obligation? And recreation. And when I was a kid, recreation was basically useless, purposeless, 
stupidity, maybe. Um, so I'm trying to, I was trying to define what I would mean by recreation if I was moving away from immaturity toward maturity. And recreation, here was a stab at it. Productive activities that promote well-being. So you could do that. You could, that, could, that could fit in a lot of categories, but it doesn't mean that I'm going to do self-centered things that please my flesh. I'll be moving away from them and moving toward recreation that would be promoting well-being. And so you think about that. It's just an area of your life. And whatever recreation means, some of you work 40, 48, 50 hours a week where you punch a clock. Um, then you have what's called downtime or your time. However you define that, however you ponder that, is it really your time? Or is every minute a gift from God and we should be offering it to him and saying, Lord, I have some time next week. Um, am I going to go fishing, go hunting, go for a walk, build a campfire, hike, bike? What kind of recreation? So you're thinking about that. Morally, ethically, um, knowing that morals and ethics it's not, they're not, it's not rules and regulations as much as it is obedience in a lifestyle. That you're building a lifestyle of integrity. You're building a lifestyle that, that principles affect your life. When it says in scripture, and find out what pleases God. That that's a pursuit in, in the general moral and, and ethics of your life, am I pursuing virtue? Is virtue on my radar screen as I'm developing a virtuous life and a, a good life? What that would look like in my ethics and my morals and how I would practice that in my day-to-day -day life. And then again, I asked myself a question. What is my duty? What is my obligation? What is my responsibility? What is my opportunity? Ethical and moral life. Sexual. And in our season, our new life of confusion of identity, I put down male and female. And I have a lot to learn about what it means to exercise manhood in a godly way. But I have a couple of thoughts and I'm learning, and I still ask these questions about this. But I think this is at least part of what I'm looking at for, for the man, for men, is protect, provide, and self-sacrifice. Protect, provide, and self-sacrifice. And promote maturity and stand against immaturity. Wherever there is immaturity, Immaturity should never be promoted in any situation. So manhood, this is what, and I'm still understanding and learning a lot to learn. Protect and provide in self-sacrificing ways. And so for the females, for womanhood, here's, here's what I thought, and I'm 
gaining, trying to get my mind wrapped around the worldview when, when God said that he made woman and he made her that, I forgot the Hebrew phrase, but basically it's the sustainer beside him, the helper as God is a helper. So here's what my, the sentence I wrote. And if you, you need to ask somebody for a better understanding, you younger ladies, ask the older ladies who have walked with God for years and they've developed a life that you respect. But in every situation you find yourself in, you look for ways to enhance it. I thought that that's to me the definition of what a woman brings to a situation. Whatever the situation is, she can enhance it. She's a helpmate. She's a helper. She's a sustainer. The definition in the Hebrew is, is the same word that's used of God in several situations. So an encourager. Um, so I thought, well, if, if for manhood we could protect, provide, and that means leadership in some sense or, or form that's respect-worthy, that is promoting life. And I ask myself again, what's my duty? What's my obligation? What's my responsibility? What's my privilege? And then I come to the end, and I'm thinking about words like maturing, character development, growth, value, evaluation, Values evaluating, constantly evaluating my values. Because for many years in my life and still today, I have values that are not worth holding. They haven't been tested. And unless they're tested, they, they, I don't know if they hold up or not. I value some pretty silly, superficial, immature things in my life. So there's a constant process of evaluating values and evaluating how you spend your time and your energy. And so this is all part of that. So Bruce, I, let's look at some of those verses that, and we'll start with, so there's some, there's some verses in, in Scripture that, in a sense, I'm taking out of context this morning, but you'll see that, that they're just fine to do that. So the first one is in Romans 15. And it sets out um, in Romans chapter 15, verse 14. So you can write this down because we're going to finish with a couple of these verses. Romans 15, 14. And I can guarantee that Paul knew these people he's talking about. He knew them because he spent time with them. And when we get to chapter 16 of Romans, which is the end of the book, he's closing the book with 30, 35 individual people that he mentions in this letter, and he probably ran out of time and, and space and realized, okay, you get the idea. I've got friends in my life. I've got people that I'm pouring into, people that are pouring into me, and people that we're walking this road together. But he says this, I myself am convinced my brothers and sisters that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge, and competent to instruct one another. And so the idea is, I look at that, I'm going, wait a minute. So if I'm, if I'm in pursuit of a life worth living, 
If I'm in pursuit of growing up, it must have something to do with being full of goodness, whatever goodness is. I would have to search that out. I would, have to, I would say, hey, is this good? Is this good? And you would learn that as you grow, filled with goodness, filled with knowledge, competent. So we should, in all of our lives, we should be continually rising to levels of competency. And when we get there, then we stay there only for a very short time because we got to continue to rise to a level of competency. And that comes through hard work. It comes through practice. It comes through diligence. And for me, the joy of knowing I don't have to remain incompetent. I don't have to remain um, unproductive and ineffective, as Peter said. I can add to my faith. I can add to my knowledge. I can add to my goodness. I, it's his goodness. And I could, I could continue to try to adjust my life. And so um, would someday Paul say to you and me, would somebody else say, listen, I know that you're competent. I know that you're full of goodness. I know that uh, you're able to instruct me. So I would like to watch your life. Could I do that? So then we're scurry on. 1 Corinthians 9. So 1 Corinthians 9. And I'm imagining that uh, back in that day when the Olympics were undergoing, they didn't call them the Olympics at that time. They're called the Games. That Paul's imagining that, do you not know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets the prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. And so you're all, we're all humans on the earth today. We're all after certain things. Are you running your life to get the prize? Or are you just caught up in the mediocrity of it all? And so this verse, I, I enjoy it as an athlete or former athlete, but uh, don't you know that in a race, all the runners run, but only one gets a prize. Run in such a way as to get the prize. He goes on in a, in a couple other, you want to flip to the next one, Bruce? Right? Not the, yeah, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. And I'm thinking, wait a minute. Everyone goes into strict training? Well, if you want to compete, if you want to be in the game, if you want to move forward, then you're going to have to train. And, and uh, last week, mentioned to Harper, um, trials are for training. And they do it to get a crown that will not last. So in the world, there's going to get give crowns. You know, you get a little plaque, you get a blue ribbon. And nowadays they give you a participation ribbon just for participating. Even if you showed up a couple hours late or you don't practice, you're still going to get your participation ribbon. They do it to get a crown that won't last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. And I think the crown we're looking for is a simple phrase when God says, well done, well done, thou good and faithful servant, well done. Um, Hebrews 12, Hebrews 12, 1 through 3. 
Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders. Right? So you get the picture again of the games. You're not going to carry the big pack at that particular race. Uh, you're going to throw it off. And that pack isn't things that will help you. The pack is baggage. The pack could be unforgiveness. The pack could be a disobedience. And you, so you throw it off because there's people watching. There's people looking to your life. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning the shame, sat down at the right hand of the Father. And so there's our picture of a runner. You want to picture a runner, you picture Jesus. He's the author and perfecter who's gone before us. We're following his trail. It's a trail of self-sacrifice. It's a trail of giving your life away. And we can't run very well if we're trying to hoard a bunch of stuff just to take care of ourselves. Next one is in Ephesians chapter 5. So be, careful, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time for the days are evil. And so I think about that on a regular basis because I, like you, I'm a human being. I have all kinds of things that distract me, all kinds of things that want to take up time that are unproductive. And so I think about, wait a minute, it says to me, be careful how I live, not as unwise but as wise making the most and then i just ask myself what's my duty what's my privilege what's my opportunity and again these are new things that have come into my life if you read through my journal over the last year of 2020 new words would pop up in the journal that weren't in the journal from 2017 and and so i'm learning and i'm growing and so i'm pursuing so I would ask now, I said, okay, be very careful then how you live. That means something different than it did in 2016. Even though in my immaturity of 2016, I was attempting to strive. But I've grown and my goals keep fluctuating in the sense because I keep growing and I get a better view of them. And I realize, wait a minute, that, that was an okay goal for now, but my goal has moved beyond and I can continue to press. And um, so it goes on and it says, because the days are evil, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Do not get drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. The idea of waking up in the morning and saying, Lord, here I am, use me. Where are we going today? What are we doing today? What's my privilege? What's my obligation? What's my responsibility? What's my duty? And um, let's skip to Ephesians 4, Bruce, and we'll just wrap this up. 
one other privileged position. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. And I wouldn't want to make less or more of the, the idea of the calling you've received, but here's what I'm learning. The calling is whatever's the next step in front of you to love people. Whatever is the next opportunity that you have before you, because you need to make a choice. If you're going to love and serve this person, you're going to have to let something go in order to do that because you, oftentimes you can't do both things. So if you're going to love and serve somebody, you, have to, you would have to lie, rise up to your calling. And your calling would be to give your life away. Go pour it out. Go pour out the life that's been given to you as a gift from God. And so live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So that's my, uh, my 2021 introduction. I'm looking forward to Second Peter and looking forward to seeing how uh, God will grow us and challenge us and enlighten us and enlarge us. Father, thank you for the opportunity this morning. And just to uh, have a simple evaluation, at least a, a, an opportunity to have a tool that may give us an opportunity to evaluate some areas in our life. And God, I'm grateful and I'm thankful to you and for many, many people in my life who continue to call me up they call me away from chaos toward order. They call me away from immaturity toward maturity. Call me away from unproductivity into productivity in productivity in a in a life that's worth emulating, a life that's hopefully moving in the direction to be more pleasing to you, more useful to you. And Lord, we just uh, we want to be about making effort, every effort to add to our faith. Making every effort to add to our life, your life. We thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So just to, as we wrap up, a couple of uh, things 